Welcome to the Immigrant Stories Program. I'm your host, Walter Gallagher. And my interview today is with John Tripp. You know, every November we set aside a day to remember our veterans and the sacrifices they made to protect us. But for people like John Tripp, remembering is a constant. Photos on the wall of his study serve as a memorial to his band of brothers from the 10th Mountain Division and the time they spent together sleeping in snow caves, training on the mountains near Camp Hale, and nearly freezing in the foxholes of Italy at the base of Mount Belvedere, waiting for the command to charge. John points to a photo of his bright-faced buddies and remembers something about each one of them. At 97, he's one of the precious few left to remember World War II and those that gave it their all. He starts his story remembering a trip he took with his father when he was 19 and his realization that his life was about to change. My dad and I at one point were in about 1938, we were up in Quebec City in Canada and we, they had a fort up there on top of the, the mountain, well the mountain, up above the front in our hotel, an old fort that was built by the English and we went up there and he had his camera and we were going inside and this guy stopped us and he said, I'm sorry, sir, but we've got to hold your camera. You can't take pictures in here. And they, and he asked him why not and he said, well, this was 38 when Adolf Hitler was coming into power or was in. And uh, the English knew what was going on more than we Americans did by a long shot because we didn't have any TV or we had radio, which was pretty new. But they, they, but what was it about that experience that made you think? Uh, that, that made me realize that they knew more than we did, and that's when I started paying attention to what was going on in Europe and uh, decided I might as well. We're going to be in it someday. So I took the physical, and then I took a mental test, took three days in Holyoke, Massachusetts, at the uh, at an Air Force base up there of some kind. And uh, then in February, they, I got the letter that uh, I was accepted as a cadet. Now, the cadet was a special entity at that time. It was a special... <laughs> part of the Air Corps. And when I washed out in, in October of 1941-2, I was discharged with an honorable discharge from the Army of the United States at, at the uh, convenience of the government. Why did you wash out? Uh, well, we had a, well, it was in the navigation school because I couldn't fly because of my eyes. And I was discharged from the Army because it was a separate entity. I could have stayed in, but I went home. I'd been talking with an old friend who was in the 87th Mountain Infantry in Seattle, Fort Lewis. And uh, so I stayed home a month and then re-enlisted in the 87th Mountain Infantry Regiment and ended up at Camp Hale. What was going on at that time? When at that time, the war, you know, by October 42, we were involved because of Pearl Harbor in right. 41. Right. And uh, So things were 
definitely. Yeah. And we just all, we were one regiment at Camp Hale. Uh, didn't have a division yet. There was no 10th Division. There was a 10th Division, but we weren't in it. And we went to Kiska in 1943. Explain what, what, where Kiska is. And what. Kiska is out in the end of the Aleutian chain, not quite the end. Attu is about the end. Attu, Shimya, and Kiska is on the, in the eastern hemisphere. But the Aleutian Islands before you landed... That was a very hot spot, right? Yeah, it was a hot spot. The Japanese had uh, bombed Dutch Harbor and were heading for Alaska and the west coast of the United States. Now, you said that that if if there had been Japanese there, you wouldn't be here today. Can you explain why? What, what was describe that island and how it was fortified? It was it was fortified by all kinds of well, underground tunnels and one thing and. It, the place we landed, the beach was about 20 feet wide, solid, big boulders, rocks, and then it went straight up, and it's tundra, and tundra is something that's, uh, you take two steps forward and two steps backwards because it's so slick, and and uh, we, we expected the Japanese to be there, but they weren't, thank goodness. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Immigrant Stories Program. I'm your host, Walter Gallagher, and my interview today is with John Tripp, a veteran of World War II. John and the men of the 87th Infantry have just landed on Kiska Island, a Japanese stronghold, only to find that it's been abandoned. So did you did you go in and walk through these caves and we yeah we explored the whole place and this was after five days of not knowing that they had gone uh-huh. and um, we realized that the fortifications they had were something else they had landmines they left there and uh, in fact one company and and I think it was a company in the eighty seventh. The guys went into a cave and rolled a field piece that was sitting there, and it was booby-trapped underneath one of the wheels, and it it killed a couple of guys there. And uh, then there was another Navy destroyer in Kiska Harbor hit a mine and blew the boat, killed a whole bunch of Navy guys. So we lost some friendly fire, and that, yeah, bombs. a lot of men, quite a few men. The The plan when you hit that island, when you landed, was to climb that face. That's right. right. Were we, you, all, you were outfitted and trained to... We were trained to go up, you know, a mountain didn't bother us at all. We were used to mountains. And so was, you were, you had ropes and, and... No, we didn't need ropes. It was, it was unroped. You know, it wasn't, it was, wasn't tactical. So you would have free climbed that... Free climbed, oh yeah, with, slipping around. With your gear, oh, and that would have been yeah. awful. Yeah, and parts, part of the regiment landed on nice beaches, and they didn't meet any resistance either. But um, Now, you you, uh, you uh, served your time as a cadet and came back home. You yep. could have just been done, right? You had served your... Well, I think I probably would have been drafted if I hadn't re-enlisted. Okay. 
but you didn't just re-enlist. You, you went with an infantry division. Why did you go from being a flyboy <laughs> to an infantry yeah, person? Yeah, I went from uh, $75 a month down to $50 a month in the infantry. Well, what prompted you to do that? Because I had skied before. and uh, In fact, to get into the regiment, the 87th, ski troops call it, we had to have three letters of recommendation to get in the Army. <laughs> Unbelievable, but we did. Three letters of recommendation. Yep. For that, because it was more of an elite it's, corps, right? Yeah, somebody had to know that we were used to being, you know, skiing or rock climbing or lived a lot of our life in the outdoors. Right. And you had. you back, I had. Back in, back in Vermont, you were. Or Connecticut. Connecticut, yeah. sorry. You were an outdoors person. Your family was outdoors. My family was partially outdoors, not not like I was. I think I was the only one in the family that really loved the outdoors. What was it that 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 lit you up about that? What was it that excited you about the outdoors? Since you didn't have, I, I just uh, was an outdoors person, huh. I, and I liked my bike, and I rode all over the country with my bicycle, not all over, Connecticut, mostly. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Immigrant Stories Program. I'm your host, Walter Gallagher, and my interview today is with John Tripp, a World War II veteran and a member of the 10th Mountain Division. So let me take you back. You you landed at the Aleutian Islands, but yeah. you you had to be trained before you landed there, oh, talk, yeah. talk to me training, about training, Camp Hale. Camp Hale. Tell mountain, me about Camp Hale. Mountain climbing and skiing and all that business. But Describe that place. What did it look like back then? What? Camp Hale. What was it like? They, they were still f- finishing building up there. When we came back from Kiska, they had already started the other two regiments, the 85th and 86th, to build this division. And it took three regiments, and a total of uh, we had a light light regiment, about fifteen thousand men. Where a full regiment, a big regular one, would be probably twenty thousand, give or take. So when when you were there training, how many estimate how many people do you think were in Camp Hill then? In Camp Hill at the time, there were probably about maybe five thousand, because we had artillery. We had all kinds of, you know, medics, of course. You have to have medics when you're in the infantry, especially. And uh, So what was, the, what was training like there at Camp Hale? Training, actually, training at Camp Hale was probably uh, more intensive, a little tougher on everybody than when we were in Italy in combat. Well, it's one of the <laughs> coldest places. Places it was cold. On. Yeah, we have maneuvers where we'd be out for two or three weeks with no fires, living in t- maybe a tent or even just a snow cave or some something like that. And then in uh, late '44, that's when we went to Camp Swift, Texas, for flatland training. And then we went to uh, well. What was that like, Camp? Camp Swift. <laughs> Camp Swift. Oh, I was married at the time, and Irene and I had an apartment in uh, Austin, right across from the University of Texas. And uh, well, it was hot. 
We yeah. have 25-mile force marches and 8-mile. We had to do in two hours. One of them with full field pack, supposedly. A lot of guys stuffed pillows in their rucksacks and, <laughs> and made it look like they had <laughs> full pack. But you had your rifle and, of course, ammunition. And I carried a rifle for a uh, better part of three years. Did you, was there any idea about where they were going to send you? Did you have no, any clue? We, we had no idea until we got on the boat. So when did you find time to fall in love and get married? Well, I met Reen on a weekend. Three or four of us would, went down to Denver. And I met her on a golf course. And as I always tell people, I haven't played since. <laughs> but uh, And then in 1944... We got married March 18th, and when I had written to my dad, told him what I was going to do, he wrote back, and he says, Dear John, any damn fool that takes on two battles at once, I have no sympathy for whatsoever. Oh. He had a good sense of New England humor. <laughs> so, so... He- you met this woman on the golf course, so what was it that sparked? A Wilshire golf course out on Colorado Boulevard. Yeah, and and what was it about her that lit I you up? I don't know, and, and uh, well, something turned me on. Yeah. We had no no sex, no none of that right, nonsense. Right. But, but she liked you? Did you, did you know that she liked she, you? She apparently liked me because she told me after, she said, John, when I met you, First, I went home and told my mom, that's the guy I'm going to live the rest of my life with. Really? She knew? She knew. Did it feel like that for you? Yeah. And she helped me build a house in Denver back in right after World War II. And then this house we live in here in Carbondale, we've been here almost 50 years. You guys got married, but you were still in the middle of the war. Oh, yeah, that was right. That's where my dad wrote that to me. Exactly. Two battles at once. <laughs> I, I'm sure back then there was this immediacy. I mean, the world the world was in chaos. Oh, so, yeah. So having having someone but, in your life helped ground you in a way, right? Yeah, no? I, I think, you know, you and you're young and you don't, think of a lot of things we do as we get older well did you think that maybe you wouldn't come back oh you know i never gave that a thought and when i was in italy i was never really afraid i i didn't want to get hurt but i did if you're just tuning in you're listening to the immigrant stories program i'm your host walter gallagher and my interview today is with john tripp a veteran of world war ii John and members of the 10th Mountain Division are headed into battle with the Germans in the Apennine Mountains of Italy. And when did you find out you were going to Italy? We found out after we got on the boat. Oh, so. We didn't know where they were going to land us. We landed, we went through the Straits of Gibraltar and looking at Africa and Spain and, and landed in Naples in the middle of the night and got off and marched through town, got on railroad freight cars. <laughs> they were short, as they are in Europe, short freight cars, about 40 guys in a, in a car, 
and headed north. So there were certain parts of Italy that weren't occupied by the enemy. Right? At that time, yeah. Yes. They, they, they'd had Anzio and they had all those big battles. And so they'd cleared that area? Pretty pretty much. Up to, In fact, we stopped at Rome and we were safe there. We had to get off the train and use the facilities in the railroad station. Of course, it was in a cramped freight car. It's not much fun. Wow, no, I would imagine. But uh, were you cautioned by by your superiors to be careful because it was still n- not totally oh, safe? Yeah, you. We, well, we weren't totally safe, but in those days, wars were uh, a little more civilized, I guess. When even in Italy, when we get off the front line and go back a half a mile or a mile, you could sit down, have a cigarette and a beer, and not worry. But not today. Uh, yeah, words are different. So you you were headed out of out of Rome and into Rome, where? We and then we uh, ended up in Florence. We ended up in um, Pisa, and we had to clean all our weapons because cosmoline, which is a greasy bunch of crap, you have to put on all your armament to keep them from rusting, and. Um, we got those all cleaned up, and then we moved up to a town, Luca. It's a walled city, and uh, we were outside the town, living in olive oil country. What was it like? Was it, it shot? We, was that was that country shot up at the time from the war? Not no, Luca. I think I, I never went into town. They never let us go in. I didn't, and uh, no, they. I think they escaped it. But the Germans had occupied it, oh. and they were still in the neighborhood. So we had to be pretty careful living in foxholes. And did you have encounters with them at this point, or was not it all at that still? Point. We had a few. Uh, had to go out at night a couple of times looking, see if we could find anything, but we didn't. Just um, luckily, and this was up in the Apennines, and uh, but it was it, it was. Well, the 1st of 1945, just about New Year's, when we were up there living, but there was very little snow. It wasn't, it was an easy winter, thank goodness. So the Apennine Mountains, so the, your Camp Hill experience oh, yeah. got you ready for... Yeah, you know, the guys were so used to living in mountains, mountains didn't deter them at all. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Immigrant Stories Program. I'm your host, Walter Gallagher, and my interview today is with John Tripp, a World War II veteran and a member of the 10th Mountain Division. He is describing the assault on the Apennine Mountains in Italy, pushing the Germans north. One of the people who was part of that assault and part of the 10th Mountain Division was an internationally known skier named Torger Togel. Anyway, then we moved up further into the Apennines before we hit Mount Belvedere, which was our first main battle. Mount Belvedere had, or the Americans had tried to take it, or the, you know, the, or the English or somebody tried to take it a couple of times before we went, and we, we succeeded in doing it. But I think uh, Reaver Ridge was right across down the, into the valley, then up River Ridge. And uh, 
Once they secured that, we were a little safer because their artillery they had up there was stopped. Belvedere was the front line. So you were starting to see action. Action. Oh yeah, we lost we lost quite a few guys on Belvedere, and they, we weren't there but a couple of days when they hit us with all kinds of artillery, because it seemed like the Germans were always up above us a little bit. In fact, I had a runner. I had a mortar section, and I had a runner, and he and his brother were in the company, and they were young guys from Tacoma or Seattle, and uh, they got out one nice day, take off their shirts. They no more than got their shirts off to get tanned than we got shelled good. (laughs) I mean, that was a flag for the Germans. So, so these... no, no more sunbathing. So they hit you hard, but you were always you were pushing them north, always so pushing up the them mountain. Backwards, yeah. Well, I got hit on March third, same day the target Togo got killed, and we lost a lot of guys on that push. Uh, and I got hit and uh, ended up in the hospital in Livorno. Leghorn, people in America call it Leghorn. It's Laverno, Italy. It's over near Carrara on the so west coast. So explain, explain how that happened. Can you take me through uh, how? We had by, we were moving so fast, we bypassed this character, German, that was in a foxhole of some kind, and he had an automatic weapon like a machine gun, and he got a few of our guys. That's the last they know of the, anything. And I, me and several others got wounded pretty good. I got hit in both legs, both knees. And, oh, uh, man. And you still get around? You, you recovered? Oh, yeah, I recovered. They told me I might not ski again, but I... Proved them wrong. Like Pete uh, Seibert, he told, they told him he'd never ski again. He was in the 46 Olympics, so... Who knows? So what was that like for you? I mean, it as was, a young uh, man to see. It, well, getting shot, you know, felt like a bunch of bee stings. But I knew I'd been hit. And uh, I said one word, and I'm not going to repeat that right now because you'll blank it out. And uh, took my pills, whatever I was supposed to take, and uh, slid down the side of a mountain on my behind, most of it, because they were still firing at us and I started walking back and I got back kind of out of range you know a few hundred yards off the front sat down on a rock and lit up a cigarette and had a chocolate bar but when I get up I couldn't walk anymore my legs both of them stiffened up and a couple of medics tried to help me walk and that didn't work so finally they got a litter and hauled me back to the were Field you, hospital. Were you shot in your thighs or, or your calves? No, I got shot. No, I got one in the calf, and that one, that bullet they took out, and I got hit in this knee, and this knee, and they took the bullet out of my right knee, and uh, the rest of them were flesh wounds. I was lucky. Did you lose dear friends in those oh, battles? Oh, I lost a lot of a lot of good guys, and we we lost a lot of good friends I'd been with for. Almost three years. Well, a lot of guys, when they come back, carry that with them. You know, there's yeah, post-traumatic but, uh, stress. How did you deal with that? I, uh, 
You know, I hear about this post-traumatic stress, and today's, uh, maybe some of our guys had it, but uh, I didn't. I think I tried to erase a lot of it out of my mind. And I was married and had a child. My daughter was born January 8th when I was in a foxhole up in the Apennine somewhere. And she lives in Paonia. So... She was born in January, and, and two months later... You, 1945, and yeah, and two you months... You got shot. Two months later, I got nailed. When did you get to see her, finally, your daughter? But, oh, I, eight months later, when I got home, I saw Judy, and uh, it was good to be home. So did they patch you up and send you back into battle, or did oh, you... I went... No, I didn't go back into battle. By the time I got out of the hospital and back to the company. The war had been over maybe for a week, pretty much over, and we were in northern Italy, and uh, and we ended up in a town called Caporetto, which is right on the Italian-Yugoslavia border, right in the Alps, it's a beautiful area. And then from there, we went back down to Florence, and then we ended up in um, Naples, and that's where we they put us on the boat and brought us home. What was homecoming like? It was, we didn't have great parades or great crowds, and nobody, you know, everybody went back home to their families or friends and looked for a job. <laughs> that was John Tripp. John returned home to his wife, Reen, and together they spent the next 72 years raising a family and running a successful business and sitting on their deck at the base of Sopras. John lost Reen to Alzheimer's disease last year. Thanks for listening, and special thanks to John and men and women like him. <laughs>